the Waves. This is our Golden Bachelor podcast, episode two, The Dead Spouse Rises. Every week we're talking about the latest episode of the newest installment of the Bachelor franchise and 72-year-old Gary's quest for love. I'm Shana Roth, senior producer at Slate. And I'm Laura Stasi, host of the podcast Dating While Gray. Laura, before we dig into the episode, you alerted me to something that I totally missed, which is that Marina has gone missing. Marina's missing. So I didn't notice it at first because, you know, everybody's going into the bachelorette pad and giggling about things. And then uh, I think Gary mentioned something about 15. And I was like, 15? Because I remember, now I'm not great at math, but I do know that 22 minus 6 is 16. So <laughs> I was going through all my pictures and I noticed Marina is gone. And who knows what happened? I have my theories. I know you have a theory. I do. My theory is that Marina got COVID. And so they just sort of quietly secreted her off the show. I've seen this happen on a few different shows where somebody will test positive for COVID. And as a viewer, you'll just be like, wait, so-and-so is just gone. And then you have, and then you Google and it turns out, oh, that person we found out later got COVID and was just kicked off the show. Now we are watching screeners that were provided by ABC. So it's possible that when the show airs for the masses that they will address the hashtag where's Marina (laughs) issue. But as far as you and I know, She's just gone. Yes. And um, would you like me to tell you my theory? Yes. What is your theory? Well, you know, she has three master's degrees. And so I think when she got to the bachelorette pad and saw the bunk beds, she was like, (laughs) F it. I'm out of here. Nobody should be sleeping in these bunk beds. Oh, my gosh. You know what? That would be me. But let's let's (laughs) talk about those bunk beds. Uh And so... All of the women are now moving into a new mansion. You'll recall that last week, Jerry whittled down the women by about half. And as he said, there's now 15. And so they're going to be living in this mansion for the remainder of the show or until they go off to an exotic locale, if that happens. Now, I was really surprised by the accommodations. These are very typical like 20-something-year-old reality TV-type accommodations. You see these types of things like on The Regular Bachelor, on The Challenge, and things like that, which meant sharing rooms and bunk beds. Oh, it's pink like Barbie. There's bunk beds. Oh, my. I guess I get the bunk bed. I get the bunk and I start thinking maybe I'm going to sleep out on the porch tonight or I might find a closet to sleep in. Is this the closet space? Uh, um, how's this going to work? Because we've got four women, no drawers. Do you like top or bottom? Bottom. Okay. I can't climb up. I'll go up. Didn't want to be on top. I've had my knees replaced. That's a lot of climbing. So I'm going to be underneath. It puts me three steps closer to the bathroom. How many of you have to get up? Laura, there was also a lot of talk among the women as they were getting settled and picking out beds about mature woman concerns, like having to pee in the middle of the night. What did you make of all of this? Was it revealing in a good way or pandering? Well, I believe, I'm just going to say it, the producers are either idiots or they're sadistic. Because... (laughs) 
Nobody over the age of 10 or 11 should be in bunk beds. It's not safe. It's not comfortable. And so I don't understand. Clearly, they have a budget. They have this beautiful, and it almost is like, you know, it's like when you're putting your house on the market. It doesn't matter how wonderful and beautiful the spaces are. If the bedroom is kind of icky, if the bathrooms are icky, if the kitchen sucks, you know you're not going to get your your fair share, you know, a good price for it. And they showed these beautiful sitting areas, how gorgeous they were and all these comfortable couches. And then these bedrooms with bunk beds for to a room. I, you know, okay, let's just say it. I don't think it's funny. I think the producers may have thought, hey, it's funny. We're not going to make any accommodations for older people. And I think it was insulting. I really do. Surely they had a budget to put in twin beds or expand rooms or do something so that these women could be comfortable during this very uncomfortable process. You don't want to worry about breaking your foot, going down in the middle of the night, or even going down in the in the middle of the day, you know, in the morning. It's not just a matter of having to get up in the middle of the night. I mean, bunk beds on top of what I believe was a tile floor, just in general, seems like they are asking for trouble. If I was a producer or even a lawyer for this show, yes. I would say, hey, guys, the liability here is a little bit too high to have people trying, really honestly of any age, trying to clamor down off of the top bunk in the middle of the night. Right. It just seems like an incredibly unnecessary uh, risk for what is, I think, a very shallow bit that doesn't that doesn't fly. It doesn't, it's not really funny. And I feel bad for these women. They shouldn't have to put up with right. that. No, I think it was terrible, actually. And then you see how big the bathroom is. They could all fit in that shower, but you're still only using it one at a time. So let's rearrange the space, maybe give them more closet space. They said they didn't have any drawers and, it, you know, one closet. But come on. I mean, it's just not funny. If you're putting people in these stressful situations, have them at least be able to have the comfort of their own single bed at nighttime. Well, speaking of stressful situations, we need to talk about the first one-on-one date. Teresa gets the date card. And honestly, I was I was kind of surprised that nobody seemed to know what the date card was. I love that. I just <laughs> thought it was hilarious. I'm like, oh, you guys are just like really genuinely here for this. It's not that you're fans of the show, which I thought was very sweet. Knock, knock. <laughs> Jesse. How are we feeling? It's so great no, seeing you all. Good. How's the Bachelor Mansion? Have you been enjoying yeah. it? Oh, my God. I love it. Beautiful. It's gorgeous. So are you all ready to get started? Yeah. Oh, I love to hear that. I am, too. And I've got something that I think can help get started. I'm just going to put that right there. What's that? I'm Ladies, what is that? <laughs> that's a that's a date card. Oh. Are you gonna open it? No. One of you is. But I, listen. So Ladies, Teresa gets the date card, some... and they start out by driving in a convertible that apparently doesn't have working headlights on the California highway. This is the very first one-on-one date, and I'm wild with anticipation right now. I'm not going to lie, I can't say I've been this nervous since my first date back in my high school years with Tony. Oh my god, he's here. Well, hi everybody. There's a lot riding on this date. Will the feelings that I hope are there, will they, will they flourish? Will they blossom? Oh my god, this is so great. 
I love it. Oh my God. There could come a day that we look back on this night that we go, that's where it all started. I just know that I'm a bit scared because it's been so long and I'm so out of practice. There's many things that could go right and there's a lot of things that could go wrong. My headlights aren't I, working. No. Yeah, that's the worst. Oh, no. Yeah. Have you ever driven on this route? No. No. Believe me, I'm not a California driver. I live in northern Indiana. This is my first time driving on a California freeway, and they are notoriously insane. I mean, why are they doing this to them and Teresa and her hair? Ugh. Come on, guys. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> See my comment earlier about idiots or sadistic because now from what i understand with the regular bachelor they do these adventure things like jumping out of airplanes or whatever but what they put gary and Teresa through with that episode that's dangerous not only for gary and Teresa, but also for anybody who happens to be on the highway and so i'm sure gary and Teresa signed waivers But, you know, Joe Blow driving past them didn't sign a waiver. So why would you put, it's dark, Gary's unfamiliar with the car, he's unfamiliar with the road, it's a convertible, so there's all that extra air and noise. I didn't understand it. I, again, didn't think that was funny if they're like, you know, trying to poke fun at older people driving. And even like when Gary said he appreciated that uh, Teresa put her hand on his shoulder, if it were me, I would have been like, don't touch me. I need to drive. So it just, you know, because you have to focus. And so I just, it was an unnecessarily dangerous and stressful situation that, I don't know. What what are these producers thinking, Shayna? What do you think? I mean, I think that what we see a lot on reality TV situations is producers increasing the stress of reality in order to create tension and drama, in order to make things feel heightened and to really heighten the feelings that are going on. And in this case, it just felt like an odd thing to do because the date was to go to this old timey (laughs) diner where they sit down and Gary's talking about how he got his start as a restaurant owner and a date in a diner is kind of like going home. Like the whole thing like slowed way down. And I feel like everything on that whole date was being set up toward the past and focusing on the past, which really didn't feel fair to anyone. So if the thought was, well, we need to add some stakes here. We need to add some tension and, you know, give these people some stress. Give them a more interesting date than getting fries and a milkshake. Don't make them go out on the highway and ruin their hair and put other people in danger. (laughs) I totally agree. Plus, I noticed I didn't see anybody eating those French fries. If you're going to put French fries on the table, eat them. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I kept noticing on this date and really throughout the episode in general was there's just so many stories of dead spouses. I mean, Teresa gave this story about how her husband died eight years ago and they're bonding over having very similar dead spouse stories. And that's such a bummer. I'm so sorry. Loss of a spouse is the worst thing. Thank you for being so understanding. So much. I know what the feeling is like. Neither one of us thought this was going to happen. We thought we were going to live with our spouses for the rest of our lives. Yeah. 
And yeah. I'm so sorry that your wife passed away. How long have you been alone? Oh, a long time. My husband's been gone eight years. Eight years. Yeah, almost nine years. Teresa's story was so similar to mine. All of a sudden, my emotion about my loss, just looking at her and, and listening, felt just a little different. I didn't feel like breaking down and crying for once. I felt like I was talking to someone that understood the loss of a spouse right now. It's a bummer, a but that might friends. be realistic when it comes to older people and uh, dating. Um, I have spoken with a lot of widows, uh, some widowers as well, and it seems like they feel like their experience is different than other daters to the point where they might not mean to be um, disparaging of divorced people, but it comes out, I mean, maybe I have a chip on my shoulder because I'm a divorced person, but it sounds like, oh no, you can't possibly understand. I lost my spouse. There was nothing wrong with our marriage. And so maybe they're setting up specific women, those who were widowed with Gary to sort of, I don't know, give those women a I don't know, a leg up or that maybe the audience is cheering more for the women. I have to say, I appreciated Nancy sharing her dead spouse story, though, because to me, that made Nancy more human. We haven't seen much of her. It was a very um, subtle and uh, to me, it seemed like a very real reaction, an unexpected reaction. And then she sort of removed herself from the situation, or of course she was on camera. But so to me, that's a little bit different than Teresa and Gary going one-on-one over the milkshake in the water about, you know, their similar experiences. So let's hope they've gotten it all out of the way. I do want to ask you, based on your expertise and your experience working on Dating While Gray, an amazing podcast. Check it out every Thursday. <laughs> Thank you. Do you think that Gary is going to have a harder time connecting with the divorcees based on what you've seen so far? Oh, that is such a good question. If they are going to stick with these quote unquote deep conversations, then he might. But if, you know, they built it up that Gary is so active, if Gary is so active, then maybe he's looking for some fun in his life. And maybe somebody like Leslie, who's had two divorces, but she's very active, maybe they're going to be able to connect over that you know, activity level. And they say even when you're trying to get to know someone at first, it is good to be doing active things, even if it's just going for a walk. But I guess it depends on how judgmental Gary is. You know, we don't really know a lot. He seems like a conservative type, which doesn't conservative doesn't necessarily mean judgy. Politically, right. Right. But he seems conservative. And so maybe he's going to be a little bit judgy of women who are divorced. We don't know. So it's going to be something to see. But I have to say, if his sole way of connecting with the widows is to talk about their former spouses and what great lives they had, or to try to recreate what they had, that doesn't bode well for a you know long-term relationship, I don't think. I mean, you really want to be focusing on the future, not the past in a new relationship. Yes. Uh, but we did get to see a lot more of those interactions between Gary and the women during the group date. Oh. It was a... 
<laughs> a romance novel cover shoot. Um, now, I'm really disappointed to say that this is a pretty standard type bachelor group date. Um, they've done photo shoot dates in the past. One season was Sports Illustrated themed. But this one felt really done on the cheap. I mean, these women were doing their own makeup. The setting was very blah. And the photos, they honestly, I know they said that this man was a photographer, but I mean, they didn't look very nice. They looked like pictures I would take of my friends on my cell phone. Yeah, I, um, okay, have the the producers, do they not go on actual dates? It would seem to me a group date, you just kind of modify a regular date. In real life, right? I mean, who, if somebody, if Mr. What I Thought Was Wonderful said to me, hey, let's go on a date. Let's go get our picture taken wearing crazy outfits. I would say, "Real, that is the sum of your imagination that you think that would be fun. I think that's weird. <laughs> I just think that's very weird. And so, I mean, and again, maybe they were trying to inject some kind of competition because they all had to run over and choose their outfits. And also... All the sizes didn't fit. You know, one size does not fit all with some of those. How did they figure that out? And Gary with the wig on, trying to look like, I don't know, Fabio. Somebody had a great line. Might have been Kathy. That he looked like his dog. (laughs) I love that. And not only were the costumes cheap, but I mean, like, one of them was a wedding dress. And that, they had to have known that that was going to create some feelings. You know, putting women in a wedding dress super early on is also a pretty common thing on these shows. They find some reason to do it uh, just to sort of, again, heighten those feelings, heighten that tension. But it felt especially insensitive on this one, given the baggage that a lot of these women are carrying. And Nancy started crying. What's wrong, baby? What's wrong, honey? It just hit me that I haven't had a wedding dress. Sorry. I just haven't had a wedding dress on since I got married. I would have taken it. You could have done this. I didn't know I'd feel this way. All of a sudden, it just brought back all of these emotions and I have to wonder. I I don't want to think the producers have bad intentions, but after the second episode, I'm a little concerned that they think this is shticky. Like maybe Jimmy Kimmel, did he become the executive producer all of a sudden? I mean, these seem like bits, just really bad bits. And apparently the ratings on the show are pretty good. Oh good. Yeah, but I think people want to see reality and you can you can have a show like this and make it interesting and make it successful for advertisers as well as with viewers. So I really hope they wake up. Yeah, especially because it feels like they're trying too hard to fit this into the traditional bachelor mold. I mean, this was really an opportunity to break away from that, to find new tropes to work with, to (laughs) find new types of dates to do. And instead, we're getting these really cheesy photos and a flash mob to don't stop believing. Like, what are we doing here, guys? And so, okay, is it normal that one person gets their own date and then there's a group date? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So every episode, there is one person gets a, a one-on-one date and then 
in traditional Bachelor, sometimes it's just a handful of people for the group date, and some people don't get to ha- be on any dates at all in a week. But yeah, so that I was kind of surprised that everybody else got on the the group date. Um, and Nan and there's always a rose at the end of the group dates, and Nancy got the group date rose. And I'm curious if you thought if this was a pity rose. I mean, I got to say a lot of roses that follow the big, you know, I'm sharing my story moment. They tend to feel like pity roses to me. What was your read on that? If it were a pity rose, I think he made a good choice because I think Nancy is very elegant. She's beautiful. And I have a little bit of a prejudice because she's from the Northern Virginia area. And so I've, you know, heard some scuttlebutt that she's supposedly a very nice woman. And she's been a widow for 10 years. I like the way she shared her story. She had a line in there about something like being able to honor the past, but still go forward. So yeah, if it were Pity Rose, good for Gary. Um, Interesting though, because there was another woman, I think her name is Joan, very tall, and they were sitting on a bed talking. And that's when he found out she's a widow too. And the way she told her story was just a little different. It wasn't as emotional. And I don't know, again, whether that was editing or I don't know. She felt guilty as opposed to, you know, being upset. Uh, so I don't know. I, I, I Nothing against widows and widowers, but let's get on with fun stuff, substantive conversations, stop talking about your past, unless it's going to be something like, hey, what was the one thing about your spouse that kind of drove you a little crazy? And if somebody said to me, oh, nothing drove me crazy, then I would cross them off my list because no marriage is perfect. There's just no, I think you said during episode one that we're saintizing some of these people or there's the risk of that. And we don't want that to happen. No, no. And we got a little bit more fun during the cocktail party. The women surprised Gary with a birthday party and they had their little bits and they spent time with him. Honestly, I was just happy that this started in the middle of the day. So hopefully they're not all up so incredibly late. (laughs) But again, there was more of the dead spouse talk. Um, anything stand out to you at the cocktail party and the rose ceremony? Okay. So the cocktail party, I just thought, this isn't any fun. I mean, it's like Gary says he likes to cook and it's like, but they're making food for him. It's his birthday. Right. And everybody has this little bit to give him. I just thought it was, um, I don't know, forced. There are so many ways to have fun at a party. And again, it's one man and all these women, but couldn't we have just seen the conversations between the women during this party? Why did it only have to be Gary hitting the pinata? I mean, the one bottle of wine that someone gave him and she saved it just for him. What? I mean, where did she? What did she? You didn't know about this man a couple months ago. Excuse me. What? (laughs) That's another thing that's standing out to me that some of the people, I mean, and again, this is probably very typical bachelor, but they know already he's so wonderful. He's this and that. I'm falling in love with him. And I thought, uh uh-uh, that's, and that's one thing about Alan, who now has come to the foreground a little bit because apparently their picture was so great that Gary gave her a special picture. Is that normal for some? I'm sorry. (laughs) Gary did not do anything. A producer (laughs) 
went to the five and dime and found this terrible <laughs> picture frame and got it printed at Walmart and then said, here, Gary, give her a picture. Like, I'm sorry, we're giving Gary to my, and I'm glad that she was very moved by it and very touched by it. But one, at the end of this, if she doesn't win, she has a picture of herself in a wedding dress with a man who dumped her. <laughs> it's a weird choice, guys. It's it's a weird choice. Well, yes, all that. And I do appreciate that she said something like, I feel like there could be a connection or those weren't her exact words, but I appreciated that she had a mature, when I say mature, not about age, but about emotional maturity. Like, I really don't know this guy, but maybe there's something there because I appreciated that. Let's also remember, she's like a pickleball co-captain in Florida. So why, why didn't he pick her for the first date and they go play pickleball together? I'm shocked at the lack of pickleball yes. on this show. Yes, me too. It really seemed like that was going to be a thing based on the previews yes. and the advertising material. There has been like one mention of pickleball over the course of these two episodes. Shocking. And can we say Marina actually played pickleball? So maybe maybe she took a look at his uh, ranking and was like, oh, I don't need to be playing with you. I'm out of here. <laughs> Let's dig into the losses. Three women went home this episode. Natasha, Jeannie, and Peggy. Now, I loved Natasha. Me too. I thought she was fantastic, but I knew <laughs> in my soul that she was not going to win when Gary said, Natasha, you are a great hugger. You remind me of my wife. This is the least sexy thing that has ever been said from a hetero man to a hetero woman. <laughs> what? You're a great hugger? You remind me of my wife? Okay, I bet. What? I did not have that. Because ah! <laughs> I, I thought, he because he is talking so much about his wife and how wonderful she is. So if someone reminds you of your wife... And it's the hug that reminds you because physically they seem like they're very different. Then I thought that would give her a one up. Plus, I mean, I love Natasha. She's so much fun. She needs to be the first Golden Bachelorette. I love that she was like, have the rose ceremony and chairs, folks. This is ridiculous. I agree. So. I would definitely submit for her to be the Golden Bachelorette. Yes. At her or Sandra, if Sandra doesn't make it. Yes, I love Sandra. Yeah, we didn't see much of Sandra this week. Peggy, we never, I mean, there was never a connection. I totally forgot who Peggy was. I have, like, face amnesia with Peggy. I could never remember her. She did not stand out at all. And Jeannie didn't really stand out either. She was a lot like Ellen. So physically, they looked a lot alike. And so I think that's what, um, but why is Susan still there? And why is April you know how I feel about April. She did not redeem herself this week. You know, when when poor Nancy's crying about the wedding dress, April gives her a hug, but her response is, uh, you know, if I knew this was going to affect you like this, I would have worn the wedding dress. Not like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're just, it's like, right, right. <laughs> April's supposed to be a therapist. Come on now, April. I don't think you're really a therapist. Or are you a licensed therapist? Because she does not seem to be very empathetic to me. I think that April is one of those contestants. I think Kathy is probably another one where they're more of a producer pick. They're kept on for the dramas and for witty quips. They'll probably make it a few more weeks, if nothing else. 
insane happens. But yeah, these are not women that are going to win, despite Kathy constantly saying how much she wants to win. But she doesn't really get in there with Gary. I mean, she's just kind of off by herself. But particularly thinking about those two women, I do wish that we had more of the women themselves, like interactions amongst them. Because I feel like I don't really know any of these women very well. I know. I mean, I do think, you know, we're talking about <laughs> poor Teresa's hair on the date. I thought it was nice that they show that scene, even if it was probably staged, but of Susan helping Teresa with her hair. And then that comment, Teresa's telling her to do it. <laughs> Susan's like, I've been doing hair for, you know, over 30 years. I know what I'm doing. It made me like Susan a lot more. And I had the only thing I thought of her before was, oh, she looks like Kris Jenner. That was all that I thought of of her. But now I'm like, oh, She's got a personality. So who this week is your number one pick to win? Mine is Sandra. I think she just keeps getting better and better every week. I don't know that she's going to win. Gary doesn't seem to have quite as much of a spark with her as I would like or that he has with maybe like a Teresa. But I love Sandra and I really want her to go far. And so, well, you it's funny because you liked Edith last time. What made you decide to change from Edith? Uh, I think I saw more of Sandra this week. Okay. And I was just like, you know what? I'm really, I'm really digging what she's, I'm really, I, I just love her whole vibe. Yeah. A very good pick because I really like Sandra from last week. Although I know uh, from reading comments, she did get some, there were some people who were not fans of her F meditation, which I thought was hilarious, but. Um, oh, that's, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> I did too. And delightful. And honestly, something I'm going to start trying yeah, myself. Exactly. Well, so on my sister's recommendation, she said to keep an eye on Ellen. So I did look at Ellen, and in fact, they did give Ellen more time. So I think I'm going to go with Ellen as my new favorite. I thought it was interesting that Faith seemed a little bit more catty this week, where she seemed to have it in the bag last week. And she made a great comment. She said something like, you know, because it took her a while to get the rose. And she said something like, you know how you're really into somebody until you're not? (laughs) I was like, yes, I do know that. And so, <laughs> so I'm going with Ellen. Ellen is my new choice. Well, Laura, talking Golden Bachelor with you is honestly my favorite part of watching The Golden Bachelor every week. I can't wait to talk to you again about this wild show next Thursday. I will be here. That's it for us this week. Please be sure to join us next week on Friday for episode three of The Golden Bachelor. This episode was produced by Vic Whitley-Berry. Daisy Rosario is senior supervising producer at Slate. And Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio. We would love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves@slate.com. Thank you to the wonderful people who have emailed us. Keep doing it. We get so excited to read your thoughts. Also, be sure to subscribe to The Waves to never miss an episode. And make sure you listen to the latest episode of Dating While Gray that comes out every Thursday. And it started this week. And every Thursday, you can also find our regular episodes of The Waves with a different host and different topic each week. Until next time, don't stop believing. First of all, when I got a divorce, I never dreamt I'd be single for this long. The chance of winning the lottery and getting struck by lightning are probably better. We're older, we're single, and maybe we're a little sick of it. 
but finding a special someone might be easier said than done. So he calls me and says, do you want to go to Scotland with me on, on our fifth date? And I said, let me check my calendar. I'm still kind of new to this and I'm you know, still trying to figure out the rules and everything else. And her reply was something like, okay, here's how it works. I'm Laura Stasi, host of Dating While Gray, the grown-up's guide to love, sex, and relationships. We have 10 new episodes coming up with news you can use about partnering in the second half of life. Plus true stories about single people 50 and older who are getting back out there. I think he still feels a little bit like somehow I have misunderstood him because he thinks he's a very good lover. <laughs> and I'm sure he I'm sure he has been. Four serious relationships in three three years. Congratulations. I mean, that's pretty damn good, I have to say. I'm uh, kind of wary, right? You know, I'm weary and wary. But hello. I mean, those are good numbers. <laughs> and of course, being bisexual, who was it who said that doubles your chances of a date on a Saturday night? It seems like every day someone is contemplating trying to make a big splash in the gray dating pool. Oh, I live close by, so he was very sweet to come to me. It was a mere 40 minutes of excruciating driving on a busy highway. How long did it take you to get ready? Oh, maybe 45 minutes. <laughs> Three minutes. I've had trouble committing because I just, I'm afraid of making another mistake. But first, they might need to work through some issues. Dating While Gray, new episodes coming soon, wherever you get your podcasts.